Our scripture reading today is Psalm 55, verses 1 through 22 in the Common English Bible. God, listen to my prayer. Don't avoid my request. Pay attention. Answer me. I can't sit still while complaining. I'm beside myself over the enemy's noise at the wicked person's racket because they bring disaster on me and harass me furiously. My heart pounds in my chest because death's terrors have reached me. Fear and trembling have come upon me. I'm shaking all over. I say to myself, I wish I had wings like a dove. I'd fly away and rest. I'd live in the desert, Selah. I'd hurry to my hideout far from the rushing wind and storm. Baffle them, my Lord. Confuse their language because I see violence and conflict in the city. Day and night they make their rounds on its walls and evil and misery live inside it. Disaster lives inside it. Oppression and fraud never leave the town square. It's not my enemy that is insulting me. I could handle that. It is not someone who hates me, who is exalted over me. I could hide from them. No, it's you, my equal, my close companion, my good friend. It was so pleasant when together we entered God's house with the crowd. Let death devastate my enemies. Let them go to the grave alive because evil lives with them, even inside them. But I call out to God and the Lord will rescue me. At evening, morning, and midday, I complain and moan so that God will hear my voice. He saves me unharmed from my struggle, though there are many who are out to get me. God, who is enthroned from ancient days, will hear and humble them, Selah, because they don't change and they don't worship God. My friend attacked his allies, breaking his covenant. <clears throat> Though his talk is smooth, smoother than butter, war is in his heart. Though his words are more silky than oil, they are really drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will support you. God will never let the righteous be shaken. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We just heard Psalm 55. It's a lament. A lament in which the author grieves because he is surrounded by enemies. And one of his closest friends has, has betrayed him, right? This is a depiction of domestic violence. With that betrayal, you don't know who you can trust, right? You keep a secret. I think if I was a, an abused woman walking into this uh, congregation this morning, I might look around at who I could trust. And everybody looks so dressed up and normal, 
right? I'd look in your faces, I'd search, and even though I wouldn't call you an enemy, like David cried out in this psalm, he said, enemies surround me, I don't know if I could intuit or if I could see that I could trust you with my story. So then domestic violence becomes a secret. And did you notice in that text, which was read so beautifully, if it was an enemy, I could, I could handle it. Did you hear that? I could endure it. But who was it? It's you, my closest friend. In my translation at home that I read the New International Version, it says, one who had sweet communion in the house of the Lord. So not only just a friend, but someone who knew me, right? Someone that was David and Jonathan. They were, they were like best friends. And usually in intimate partner relationships, in marriage, boyfriend and girlfriends, at home, we know each other. There's a commitment, right? There's a vow. There's a promise. There's a trust that begins to happen. And when that betrayal happens, that betrayal happens not with divorce, not with a breakup. That betrayal happens with violence. And we know that violence isn't just physical. It's emotional, spiritual, sexual, financial. I think I missed something in there. But you, you have the gamut. So I'm here to talk to you this morning about the ministries of Northwest Family Life in Penny's Place. And my heart is so full. I felt after that prayer we could just end there. Such a such a um, such an experience for me to be here with you this morning to sing of the goodness of the Lord, the faithfulness of the Lord that just makes me cry in the amazing grace, right? And then to hear the truth of people's lives being spoken out loud, that there aren't secrets here, and the fact that there is acknowledgement that trafficking and violence exists in our world. So easy to cover up and to pretend that that's not so. One in three women around the world experience domestic violence. It's a global issue, one in three. So if I were to ask each third woman to stand up, that would be a lot of women in here. So I can say with confidence that I'm in a safe place, even though I'm nervous. I'm in a safe place because we know this story. If it is the story of one of three women, um, and you have more than three women in your lives as men and women and families, this is, a, this is a reality that has touched each one of us. It's not something out there. It's something in here. It's in our lives. I didn't know that. I grew up a missionary's kid um, on the west coast of Vancouver Island. Uh, with the, uh, my parents were missionaries with the Shantyman, uh, Shantyman's Christian Association, and those guys went into all the nooks and crannies all across Canada and some into the northern uh, United States and preached Christ. They were like, they were kind of a rebel group. They walked into places and they did, they just always preached Christ. So I grew up with this family that was really focused um, on salvation, right? But we were with First Nations people. I could see the injustice. I could see the difference between being brown skin and being white. I could see the oppression. 
We all knew it. Um, but I'm a white woman, so who did that? Who did I, I, I'm just saying it, that I thought it was about what happened to them, not what happened to me, what happened to us. I grew up just with that, um, not that I was ever taught that, or not that anybody ever said that, but that's kind of what I just kind of had that notion growing up. Um, <clears throat> I was going to tell you about Northwest Family Life, but uh, time is short, so I think you've heard about that in Penny's Place. I'm going to continue here um, because I just want to say that with my beginning place, it's interesting to me that I'm here um, this morning. Um, my parents moved from Canada. My mom was very sick. And so my parents moved from Canada to um, Seattle so my dad could go to SPU and so that my mom could heal. Uh, I came in grade 9 and 10 to this church. My parents, um, we attended, what was it, Inner Bay Covenant Church just across the bridge. But um, I came to youth group here. And so there's some older faces here. I don't know if you'll remember any of these names, but my youth group were Dwight Cottrell and Mike Maley and Gail Berquist and Daryl Monsingo, Shelley Hartman, Janine Watkins, Cindy Haslam, Debbie Drexel. Do any of you remember those names? I am not connected with any of them anymore, but they really mattered to me. I was from the bush. Um, and I came to the Seattle, which, which was a big city, right? And we made friends. And it was, we were too, too young for the hippie movement, but we were right in there in the Jesus people movement. And we started to read our scriptures together and pray together. And it was a really beautiful time. It meant so much. It was very formative for me. And so that was in this church. And um, the validation of loving the Lord and having good friends. Not everybody gets that in junior high and high school, but I got that, and I got that here and on Queen Anne Hill. It was an exciting time for me, and then in grade 10, we moved to Esperanza, which is again on the west coast of Vancouver Island, and some of you have been to Esperanza and helped with the, my parents' mission there. Um, moving from there, um, moving there, that's a whole story in itself, but um, I went out to Trinity Western to go to university there um, and met a young man. Now, we were all the, like 19. Were any of you guys 19 at one time? Yeah, you know the kind of choices we make? We make life decisions, right, when we're very young. Domestic violence is the leading cause of death and injury to women around the world between the ages of 14 and 44. If they used to say 15, now 14. So violence starts early, right, with dating. You hear the, the dating and then the marriage. The ripe old age of, of 20, I married uh, Tom Symington. I loved him. He was adventurous as my father. He had um, a, a quick wit, and he was fun to be around. I missed something, though. I missed that my father had... He was a pioneer missionary, and he was part of that kind of a group of people who had a lot of faith um, and lived on the edge, lived on the margins. I married a man with similar attributes, but the character was different. The character was completely different. Um, Tom Symington, who I respect now, but he had 32 convictions before he was 16 years old. 
So in nowadays, what do we call that? We call that criminal behavior, right? But in those days, in the Jesus people movement, when people came to Christ, we said, behold, they're a new creature. In Christ, all things are made new, right? So I, I've had to work with my theology on this a little bit because if you were, had a broken leg and you were to give your life to the Lord today, would that broken leg be healed right away? Maybe, especially if you're of a more charismatic tradition. Um, maybe not. What would happen? Your heart would be changed, right? It would be made alive to Christ, but that leg would still be broken. I didn't put those two together when I married this young man. Um, his, his heart was alive to God, but his behaviors, um, his learned behaviors were caustic. Um, I'm so excited that you're doing this work with foster care kids. It is so important to build into the fabric of young young lives and tell them the truth day after day and, and, and give them other examples of which to live so that whether they love Jesus or not, um, they have someone who's spoken into their character development so that they can progress differently in life. Anyways, violence for us, for me, started on our honeymoon. I was, um, uh, you know, on honeymoons you're pretty isolated. You go away from all your friends and family, right? And it was long before cell phones where you could give a text or a shout out and say something was happening to you. It's a terrible secret. When you come home for a hunt, from a honeymoon, everybody says, how was it? You know, did you have fun? And what are you supposed to say? Well, you know, I got punched. I got sworn at. I got pushed down. He, he punched out all the windows of the place that we were staying at, a place that was... Uh, hand-built by a craftsman on the west coast of Vancouver Island who had um, beachcombed every single piece um, of building material. This predated home or Lowe's or Home Depot or anything like that, and it was out in the wild. Every piece of glass had been come off of a shipwreck and it all been, they were treasures. And he, what do you, how do you come home and say that? You know what you say? Well, you know what, I, what you learn as a survivor of violence? You learn to say, we're fine. Now fine to me says effing insecure, neurotic, and emotional. That's how I, how, when someone tells me they're fine. They say, oh, it was good. What, how do you really uh, talk about those kinds of things? So much went on. I was married to Tom for 10 years. We had three children. and. I lost a number of children from being kicked. There's just, you know, you have miscarriages, and in those days the doctor didn't ask you how things were at home. Um, you just make it through. I didn't want to put any shame on my family. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know how to see who would be a friend and who would be a quote-unquote enemy. Who would tell me about, how, did I submit enough? Did I pray? Have I forgiven him? It, it just became so confusing. But what was not confusing for me is when you think that someone's going to kill you and you can't figure out how that would bring any glory to God to, have, to be dead or to have your three beautiful children dead. Um, the confusion kind of cleared for me, and it's like, i got to get away. And the only place I knew 
to come was to the States. I knew to come to this place because I had experienced for three years in the United States when my dad was at SPU, um, I had the loveliness of this church, the friendships, the, the everything I knew was from this, this neighborhood. We lived on Fifth Avenue when my dad went to schools, and my mom was a nurse at the infirmary, so this was our world. So I came to the States. I had my car and my three kids, and you know, I knew I'd be safe here because my husband didn't like Americans, he didn't like the city, and I, I, I kind of knew my way around. It was familiar to me. We lived in our car for about four months because I only came with 100 bucks, and you can't really, you can't really do much with that. And you can't get, I couldn't get a place to live, not only because I didn't have money, but because I didn't have, a I didn't have any credit in the States. Um, I didn't have a down payment. You know, there's all sorts of things. And I found, um, there was, a, I found a, a restaurant on Aurora. And for those of you who know Aurora Highway 99, it still remains, there's a, an elephant on the top of the roof. So it's just north up here. There used to be a little restaurant, and I would go in there with the kids, especially on rainy days, and we could color. The kids would color, they just gave us a blank piece of paper, and we made up games, and we played tic-tac-toe, and we did all these fun things. One day this woman came and sat beside me, and she said, are you a single mom? And I was horrified, because it's like nobody had asked me that. Um, what was it about me that she'd think I was a single mom? To me back then, single mom meant failure, loser, you know, and I wasn't divorced, and it's like I didn't know what to say, and I said, why do you ask? And she goes, because I just saw my husband kill somebody down in Oregon, and I got the kids in the car, and we came, and I'm a single mom, and she was just like, out came this story, and I said, you can sit with us, so they sat at the table, and she, I'll remember, I can still remember, she had these beautiful blue jeans on, and she, um, colored for her kids while we were there, a picture of Sylvester on one leg and a picture of Tweety Bird on the other. She was artistic and she just used her fabric that she had and was, she was so engaging and she says, can you stay here for a minute with my kids? And I just need to step out and I said, sure. So I, she, her name was Lisa and she went out and she took a long time and when she came back, she had a wad of cash. And she said, thank you. And then she ordered for us and we had, we had lunch together, and um, I, didn't, I just thought she went to the bank. Well, um, we met there on a regular basis for a few uh, months, and a whole number of other women started to join us, and I became the daycare, and um, unspoken between us was I knew that, I, I knew that they were starting to, they were working um, in prostitution so that they could support their kids, um, and we were all homeless, like in all of us, we went our own places at night, but that's what, that's what happened. And, and I started to feel really guilty that they were paying my lunch. I felt like, mm, this isn't good for them to be paying my groceries. I think we'll go to, uh, to the Free Methodist Church <laughs> at First Free and we'll have lunches. You guys had potlucks then, and in the evening sometimes you'd have boys and girls clubs, so we would bring this whole, <laughs> I would bring this whole group of, of women, and um, 
yeah, you didn't know it, but I remember somebody in this congregation asked us if we could maybe, they put a can out and said maybe we could pay a little bit every time we came. <laughs> we did, we did what we could, um, but that was it. So we, I knew my story, I also knew their story, but you knew none of our stories. And we went to Pioneer Club, we went to Bible study, I went, there was a woman um, who had a sleeping double in a single bed, Bible study, and we would go to that, and some of them sang in your choir. Um, it was really, I just uh, thought this was, sometimes it's safer to live on the streets than it is at home. That's what our, that's what our foster kids run away from foster care because it's safer. They run to foster care because it's not safe in their homes, and then they run away. Women run away from their homes because it's not safe to be at home. And they think they have resources, but they often, not everybody, but often don't have enough resources and end up in situations like the one that I found myself in. I was able to go to SPU. Anyways, I just want to, can you guys give a hand to anybody who was in this church in those days when, when we were all here under your noses and you didn't know? Come on, I... <laughs> I'm so happy to be able to tell you that story because it was really great. Well, then I went to SPU because I found out that I could live in the States. I'd gone to Trinity Western. I had two years there. I could stay in the States legally if I went to school. So I went to SPU. Um, that whole thing is a different story. But in, in class one day, um, somebody came in to talk about domestic violence. And her name was Janine Watkins. Janine Watkins' dad was a pastor here. And I'd been to school with Janine, and she was so shy, and she had braces. She used to walk like this down the hallway. She was so timid, and I'd say, Janine, hold your head up. You're good. You got friends. Like, well, Jesus loves you. It was in those, in those days. And I remembered her as a girl. I didn't recognize her as a woman. She was a speaker in class, and she came from Eastside Domestic Violence at the time, and she told us what domestic violence was a pattern of behaviors designed to have power and control over an intimate partner. The intention, I mean, I, I thought it just happened. I didn't know that it was intentional. And as she talked about the cycle of violence and the attributes of it, I put up my hand and I said, well, all those things happened to me, but I'm not a battered woman. And tears just streamed down her face. She sat down and she looked at me and she said, Nancy, all those things happened to you. And that amount of compassion and empathy that she had, in my, it broke my attempts to minimize everything and to be tough and to be okay. That warmth, she just, she didn't focus on it for the rest of the class because I was pretty undone. But she invited me for lunch later. And she gave me an education that transformed my life. It put language to my experience because before, everything was either okay or not okay. Then I went to, then I went to Northwest Family Life as a client, and that's where my healing began. So I got the education first and then the healing. Then I married a wonderful man, Tom Murphy, if you want to stand up. This guy has brought so much healing into my life. Yeah, Tom is, um, it took me a long time. I, I got a divorce and then we, for those of you who know our pastor, our former pastor at Shoreline Free Methodist, Dale, um, what was, what's his last name? Winslow, yeah, Dale Winslow. 
I could not justify in, in my mind the scripture that says you can divorce, but you can't remarry. I spend a lot of time at the altar praying about that because I liked him and he wanted to marry me, but I just couldn't justify it biblically. So that was a different thing. But Tom has brought so much healing into my life, living well with me through all the triggers, through all the memories. He's so kind and thoughtful, and we've been married for 25 years, and he hasn't wavered on that. It's been, I brought a buttload of trouble into our marriage with three kids. He brought his two kids into our marriage. We have a blended family. We now have 20 grandchildren. Um, it is, uh, yeah, it's not exactly what we expected. Uh, yeah, we do feel like, I feel like I'm from the wrong side of the tracks many times. One of our, the way that this continues is that one of our sons, um, partnered with a, a very, um, with a woman who has a very complex trauma history in South Seattle. Um, and from that relationship, we have a granddaughter that, that she brought into, a daughter that she brought into the relationship that is our granddaughter and very precious to us, who lives out the pain and the trauma of her life, her parents' life, my son's life, and she is a trafficking, she is a trafficked um, young woman right down in SeaTac right now. She's drug addicted, um, she's African American, and she holds my heart. Her name is Demetriana. Um, I never thought that domestic violence or trafficking would be part of my story, but I am so grateful for it because, um, Beth, can you put these scriptures up for just a moment again? Because in a time when you think there is no God, that God doesn't understand, that church people would never understand, and then to find out that it's not just out there, it is in the church, and it's written about in the Psalms. I'm beside myself over the en enemy's noise. Do you know that it's very confusing to be in a domestic violence situation when you're told how terrible you are, nobody will ever want you, how unlovely you are, how, you, how they, you make a person sick, it becomes noise. At the wicked person's racket. The reason I love this wicked, it is wicked to insult people, to hurt them, to say demeaning things. It's wicked to hurt a person, especially a person that you love, and I could go on and on, because they bring disaster and they harass us furiously. We'll go to the next one. The effect is my heart pounds in my chest because death's terrors have reached me. The leading cause of death and injury, the two times that it's more dangerous for a woman is when she's pregnant and when she's going to leave. Those are the most dangerous times because they are, a life can be taken. Fear and trembling have come upon me. I'm shaking all over. It's not comfortable to ask somebody, so have you ever been choked? You know, that's not something that we just have in our normal conversation, and at least I don't. And yet this is a common experience for women, and it's life-threatening. It can take someone's life. You just grab somebody by the throat, and you're in charge, right? And that person is completely helpless. So what do you say? I wish I had wings like a dove. I'd fly away and rest. You get creative. You start to dream. I'd run so far away. These are the women that we have at Penny's Place.
These are women who, to save their life, they have run away. And they need a place where they can fly away and rest. Next one, Beth. It's not an enemy that is insulting me. I can handle that. It's not someone who hates me, who is exalted over me. I can hide from them. This is the thing with domestic violence. You can't hide, especially in this day of social media and everything. You can't really go somewhere. You're always connected to people with children and money and social media. And it's so dangerous, so it gets complicated. No, it's you, my equal, my close companion, my good friend. It was so pleasant when, we t when together we entered God's house with a crowd. Very often people say, well, I thought they were friends. From everything I could see, they liked each other. The thing is, it's not always bad. It's not always bad. The cycle is that there's tension, and then there's an explosion, and then there's this time of contrition. Oh, baby, I'm so sorry. And then what happens next? Because of the cycle, it is tension, and then it's an explosion, and then contrition. Next one. This is so interesting. This is the very last verse of this chapter. I just love it because number one, it tells the truth and it tells the truth. It says, though his words, it could be her words, but in this text, it's though his words are more silky than oil. Oh, baby, I love you. I didn't mean to hurt you. It won't happen again. I'll go to church. I'll go to AA. They're really drawn swords. It's behind that, it could really mean, if you will, or I'm sorry that, you, that I hurt you. I didn't mean for anybody to know about this. There's so much behind that. So that's one truth. That person, or David, he understands that the words are good, but the actions are something different. But here's the other truth that I love. Cast your burden where? On the Lord. And I think that I want to just thank you from the biggest place of my heart for doing the work of the Lord. You are the Lord. You've been the Lord to me. You have been the Lord to me. You have been the Lord to the people at Penny's Place. I urge you to drive by there if you were part of the renovation project and see how gorgeous it is now, how wonderful. You have been God to the Lord to people when they get their first good night's sleep after a long time of just like fear, fear and helplessness. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will support you. And it is true that God will never let the righteous be shaken. I am so grateful for, um, I know that there's survivors in this room today. I know there are. And I'm, I just hope that you feel absolutely encouraged as you've heard from Camille and from Bonnie and from those young ladies and from the music and from the scripture spoken that you have felt encouraged that you are not alone, that God hears your prayers that David understands, he was pretty, he was pretty angry too. He kind of asked for those wicked men to what go to hell. Um, domestic violence is a learned behavior. 
So I'm just going to end on this. I've already, I've already gone over, and I could go on and on, but I want to say domestic violence is a learned behavior. At Northwest Family Life, we do batter's treatment very intentionally because uh, women will always love men, and men will always love women. That just kind of seems to be the deal. Um, but when someone comes to us and says, this is the behaviors I've done, this is the behaviors I've engaged in, we don't use any, any name calling. We go, thank you, welcome, we're so glad you're here, let us help. And it's all about teaching people different role models and letting or different ways to live in this world, giving them different role models, and letting them know that God loves them, that they are not trash. And when abusers understand that, they change. They change, and it's just a beautiful part. To, it's beautiful to be able to be a part of that. We have survivors groups. So for the 30 years, we provided those things in counseling, but the housing piece, we started 10 years ago. Because depending, it doesn't matter what the politics are. It doesn't matter. There's still people needing safe places. And we need safe places. And then those mold, aren't those RVs really fun that the Lord put that in somebody's mind? Because you know what you can do with an RV? You can like load it up to a truck or get behind the wheel and you can drive away. And what is that? Freedom. That's freedom for someone to have their own place, their own space. And this is Freedom Sunday. So I just want to thank you for being part of my own freedom and for walking with so many other people with freedom. And again, in NIV, it doesn't, it ends with this, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. That's been my biggest struggle. I spent a whole year, my husband can attest to this, saying every day, I will put my trust in the Lord, and I hope you will too.